0: Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. We're back. We're ready. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's Podcast Tuesday. That's right. Podcast Tuesday with your favorite two people. I know right here. Cody Kitchen <laughs> and John Hall. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Y'all look forward to Tuesday. Yeah, I was to told to, uh,
1: uh, earlier this morning that we have a grand total of twenty-one listeners, so we're uh-huh. we're inching towards our
0: lofty goal of a thousand listeners. Yeah, we need y'all's help. Yeah, so get out there and tell someone about the podcast. That's right. And today's podcast is a good one mm-hmm. because we are starting our series. I guess technically, since it's your series of 2 uh, Corinthians. You started on Sunday our uh, series on 2 Corinthians, going through the book. And the title of the message on Sunday was The Problem With This World. Yes. Man, what a great title. Mm-hmm. And it was over 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as and as you kind of processed and as you prepared for this sermon and even for this series, what are some things that came to mind? When I began my preparations for preaching a series of messages through 2
1: Corinthians, I did not anticipate how complex and complicated the actual text is. So it's tied my brain in a pretzel more than once. So I'm grateful that the Lord provides much help, especially on Sunday mornings when you actually deliver the message to help it be clear in your mind and heart so it can be potentially clear in the minds and hearts of those who hear the message. Yeah. So I had I had and still have a level of concern, you know, can I can I understand this all the way through? Sure. And I know the Lord will help me, but you know, that's saying something cuz I've preached through some monsters, you know, mm. Revelation, Romans, Luke, and none of them have compared in degree of difficulty like 2 Corinthians. uh, And that's a big surprise to me. I think most people hearing this podcast would be surprised by that too. I don't think we think naturally that 2 Corinthians would be much of a challenge. Right.
0: Wrong. Yeah. It's interesting. I've read it before, obviously, but never really put that much thought into it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, even after just one hearing one sermon, verses 1 through 11, Mm -hmm. I could definitely see the the power from it and the complication and you even started on Sunday you know talking about the introduction of 2nd Corinthians with the author who the recipients were why did Paul write this letter and you talked about you know main first Corinthians was written to identify and address the problems within the church and then in 2nd Corinthians Paul wrote it to affirm and defend his ministry Um, and he argued for his authority and legitimacy as an apostle. And you talked about how 2 Corinthians is deeply personal and autobiographical Mm -hmm. in in this writing specifically. And it's interesting that you had even talked about that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to defend his position and to confront and denounce those who were perverting the truth, and that people uh, were—there's false teachers who— denied Paul's authority and slandered him. And, and so my first question before we kind of get into the, the meat of the text is, why do you think it was so important to Paul to defend his ministry? And have you ever felt like Paul? Good question.
1: I think it was important for Paul to defend his ministry because of the relationship he had with the church in Corinth. He'd been their pastor there, so to speak, I think for a couple of years. He really invested himself in that church. That church was messed up in every sense of the word. Anything that could be wrong with the church was wrong with that church. It was awful. They they were largely influenced and corrupted by their the culture around them. They brought a lot of what was in the culture into the church. And so Paul labored furiously uh, to bring the gospel to that church and to see the gospel transform unbelievers to believers by the grace of God in Christ, and then to grow up those new believers. And then, you know, when those, there were a handful of false teachers, false apostles, that were undermining and short-circuiting his relationship and his ministry and his credentials and his apostleship, in front of that church, and he was rightly and justifiably concerned. And I would even go as far as saying outraged. And he had no stomach for those who peddled in deception and corruption and only to exalt themselves instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can completely understand why he was out of his mind and and felt so strongly and passionately about defending his apostleship. Mm. Because he had had invested himself a a great deal. And as we know, I don't know if it's really changed. It seems like it's more prominent and prevalent in our culture today. Simply to have something said about you Mm -hmm. without it even being substantiated can be hurtful and damaging and uh, personally wounding but damaging of your reputation as a minister of the gospel. And so I can totally see why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to defend his apostleship and to maintain his credibility, which was not from any school or any teacher he had. It was from Christ himself. He, he mentions in verse 1, called to be an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And so I, I, I totally resonate with his sense of I can't let these few damage all the work that God has done in and through my preaching and teaching and and ministry to this church. So no wonder he rose up and defended himself, which I think too was very hard for him because he wasn't – read his letters, he's he's not one to toot his own horn. Mm. It's always about Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the grace, Faith. I mean, he's very consistent in his theology and how he presents himself. He's just a tool in the hand of God. Yeah. And so, when those attacked him, he, I, I appreciate that he would defend himself. And sure. It's sad that he says in Second Timothy, as I referenced in the sermon. You know, the mm. the first time I uh, stood by myself, no one did, no one came to my defense. And man, that's an awful place to be. Mm. But he said, the Lord stood with me, and that's where we all want to be. So I'm encouraged by Paul's understanding that, you know, you can have an army of people defend you, but if you're not, you know, if you're wrong and don't need to be defended, that's one thing. But if you're right and no one comes to your defense but the Lord stands with you, that's another thing altogether. So... I see why Paul is so stirred up and passionate about it. And as I've continued in my preparations through 2 Corinthians, I get it. He's wound up. He's aggravated, annoyed, angry even at these who would dare to undermine his work after all that he had done uh, to, to help that church find its footing for Christ. Yeah.
0: It, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about it on Sunday, you know, that... It's one thing when someone says something about you falsely. Like I think of this is a silly example, but if I'm playing a board game, someone accuses me of cheating and I'm not, I'm angry. I don't I don't like being called a cheater, mm-hmm. especially when I'm not. But in this sense I was thinking more of Paul's angry at the sense of what people are saying about him, but I think it's also more and you you know, you said this too, that of whom he's defending. You know, that he's more angry that people are calling him false of the things he said about Christ and, mm-hmm. and God. And um, so that's what really stuck out to me was how passionate he is. Even you can tell in these first 11 verses of the truth being revealed to his people, because he was already passionate about that. Mm-hmm. But now it's defending the very thing that people are accusing him of. Yeah. Which is, he, he, is Christ. He, he clearly had no stomach for anyone who would mislead the church,
1: who would Absolutely. deceive and, and spread corruption in the church. He had, Zero tolerance for that. And I think it's a lesson to all of us. What, what is it What is it going to take for you to stand up and say, you know, that's enough. I'm going to not stand up for that. You know, I let a lot of things go and try to let it roll off my back. But there are other things like Paul that you're like, okay, this is worth taking a stand for. And if, in Paul's case, if I have to defend my apostleship again, which broke his heart, that he would even have to do that again with these Corinthians. They knew him.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that's what – I think that wounded him, that I can't believe I'm in a situation where I have to once again establish my track record, God's call. You've seen my ministry. You've benefited from my preaching and teaching. Why is it now I have to reestablish that? I think, I think that was a tough pill for him to swallow. Yeah. Good
0: and it's a you know really good transition into the kind of the body of your sermon in which you gave us two ideas and the first idea being in a world full of trouble we share in suffering and comfort we see that in verse three through seven of this text and um, you tell us that the problem with this world is that there's so much trouble (laughs) and everywhere we turn everyone we know there's trouble affliction and suffering around us and that Paul reminds us that um that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you said on Sunday, the Father of mercies, is the God of all comfort. And you really kind of honed in on that in this and this idea of, of seeing that God is the the one of comfort. He is the one that, is, as you just said from Second Timothy, is that comforts us through all of our afflictions. And by comfort, Paul is not saying that he's going to remove it. You really did a good job of emphasizing that, that, you know, doesn't mean just because of, he's comforting us doesn't mean he's gonna remove our pain or the affliction that's coming um, to us. And he even talked about what is this higher purpose? It is for a higher purpose, but what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, know, you said, the truth I do know, the one outcome of the purpose um, is in verse four, which says, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so you even said, I quote you on Sunday, you said, God comforts us so that we might turn around and be comfort to others. So my question is, what does it practically look like for us to comfort others? And how can we be better stewards of sharing the comfort that we have gotten ourselves? Right. Well, I think it's a question of, you know, being there for people
1: in their time of need. If we know about the need and have the opportunity to practice what's called the ministry of presence. You don't even have to have brilliant words of counsel with people, being there for them. Uh, Today it means, you know, a a thoughtful text, I mean, an email, a phone call, uh, showing up at their house with a meal. There's so many practical ways that we can show one another that we're walking with you in your season of difficulty that we want to be of comfort, that actually means encouragement, you know, that God is our encouragement Mm. in our seasons of difficulty or loss or grief. I mean, our church had been hit with five deaths last week, Mm. and Karen Strayer pointed out to me that, you know, only God could possibly know that was gonna happen and how that text would be preached on that Sunday after all these deaths in our congregation and so you have people who've experienced significant personal loss by losing loved ones. And here we are at this text, and the text says God is the God of all comfort. And we are comforted by Him, which means we're encouraged by Him, and therefore because we're encouraged by Him, we can turn around and, and be an encouragement to each other. So some people are really good at that. It just comes supernatural for them. And others, right. you know, we have to learn how to do that. But I, I think those are some ways in which we comfort one another uh, by our ministry presence, and asking when we have opportunity, you know, hey, how are you? Or I, I mean, there probably other people would be better to ask of that, but um, I, I think those are helpful steps in the body of Christ. Praying for people. I pray for a lot of people. Mm. They, and sometimes I'll in the morning I don't do it as often as I should or as I used to, but, you know, I'll send somebody, hey, I'm praying for you today, I'm an early morning text, I'm an early riser, and, hey, I'm thinking about you today, praying for you, something as simple as that, but then you got to pray for them, that's the thing, is really seize on the opportunity to pray for them, so it's not just a bunch of empty, you know, words. Mm. Um, So I think that's, that answered the question, Yeah, more or less. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Yeah, so I think... Our church, from what I've observed, does a really good job of ministering to one another. Um, and it's always—since I've been here, it's always been a part of the church. I think it was that way long before I arrived on the scene, and it's continued. And you try not to disrupt that dynamic in the fellowship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing about being a part of Field Street Baptist Church. You know, our people are pretty good at ministering to one another absolutely, uh, in seasons of loss. And I think— I think that alone is a great dynamic because four or five full time staff members can't possibly keep up with all of the the needs that a congregation of our size has. So it's nice that the body is ministering to the body. So you've received comfort, encouragement from God, then go and extend it to others.
0: Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I I uh I'm I and mean, you said this on Sunday too about you know the where Paul's saying in, in Timothy, we just read the verse two of, you know, where he felt alone. And I've always thought about that. I never want that feeling. And I couldn't imagine that feeling of walking through something so intense, so even scary, maybe to a point, but yet I'm alone mm-hmm. physically. Yes. But we know that Christ is with us. And so I've even thought about that, you know, as we ask that question, too, of, of I, you know, I want to be the best I can be to someone else. Mm-hmm. There's times that I've been comforted, yes, by the Lord, but even by the my, the people I'm walking and doing life with. Yeah, and that feeling is is great. Yeah, it, it is a great feeling. So even that reminder of trying to be the best I can be to somebody else. Yeah, as much as I can, I'm not perfect and I fail a lot sure. in that. But I think that's kind of been my encouragement too: is God will always comfort us and be there, but He also provides people and community around us to be there.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's another thing too. Uh, You you just barely touched on it. Um, So as the pastor, I'm telling you, you have to be comfortable with loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I would say to young men in the seminary, if you're not comfortable being alone, you're not ready to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. It is a lonely office. Sure. And um, you have to be at peace with that because there will be moments and times where you, the only friend you have might be a dog and the Lord, Mm -hmm. Um, and probably your spouse. I mean, I can't imagine Allison not being your friend in all times, but um, you just have to brace yourself for the fact that there will be those moments where you will feel like you're alone. That may not actually be the case but the perception in your heart and mind is man I'm going this alone sure and so I really appreciate Paul's transparency in 2 Timothy and even his transparency all through 2 Corinthians where he laments you know yeah at my first offense no one really came to stand by me but the Lord stood with me and I've camped out on that verse more than once, um, and I've spoken with other pastors who feel similarly uh, that you're in a you're in an office where you're going to have moments where you're alone. Um, that's part of the deal, I think. I don't I don't think that's magnified enough in the preparation for. Heeding the call to be a pastor, so I would certainly counsel young men who who are feeling that call, sensing that call, that you better be prepared for those lonely moments. Because I, you know, people can't do my preparation for me. People can't do the, my praying for me. People can't accomplish the solitude that I need to be with the Lord, so that I can carry out my responsibilities. So it's a lonely calling sometimes. It's a great. It's a great calling. Sure, but it is uh, you're going to have seasons of prolonged loneliness. Now that's compounded for me because I'm really more introverted than I am extroverted. You're more extroverted, from what I've observed, which is to your credit, and it's a great trait about you. But uh, for those of us who are a little more, you know, I'm if given the choice of spending time in my study with a book versus being Hey, with a room full of people, I'm always going to choose the book. It, it, you know, and I'm having to learn. You know, my my family has helped pull me away more out of that mode. <laughs> but it's funny, with every kid we added, it's like I retreated more hardly to the quiet moments. Yeah. It's funny how kids do that. But uh, And I don't think either is right or wrong. It's, one's not better than the other. It's just how... People are wired, mm. and my wiring is such, you know, I'm typically more introverted. Um, and then, you know, if you get scorched a few times in ministry, and every minister does, every follower of Christ, I think, gets a scorching at some point, then you're slower, you know, to trust. You're slower to open yourself up uh, to people if because you, you're just—you circle the wagons. You're more guarded. Sure. Um, and I've I have spoken with a few pastors who've had similar experiences. You know, you get you get smoked. <laughs> so, uh, but fortunately, there's far more joys than than difficulties in the Lord's work for all of us. I think I, I shouldn't say that so blanketly because I'm sure there are people in far more difficult circumstances. I could even imagine that may, that may not be their testimonies per se. But it might be. You know, that's the the
0: economy of the Lord is so much different than ours. It's good. Yeah. You had to transition into your second idea, which was in a world full of trouble, we are confident God will deliver us in mm-hmm. verses 8 through 11. Um, and, you know, we talked about Paul's mission, mission, missionary journeys, had three of them. And this, here he had visited Corinth on a second missionary journey and planted a church. He talked about we don't know much, but there was where Paul experienced trials and some of them quite intense. And um, he talked about we don't really know what happened in Asia um, in the, in that missionary journey. But he talked about that how he had trust trust in God. Um, and you had said, why is that the last resort that we have as as people of God, even, if that we trust in God last? Why is that not our first resort? Um, why is that not our first thing to do? And, you know, you said maybe that we'll mature to a point where our default is to first trust God. And it's always a good thing to turn to God mm-hmm. in any circumstance because we declare our dependence on Him. Mm-hmm. And you made an argument of why do we trust God? And you talked about where Paul says because God can raise the dead. He raises the dead. He has the power. He, he delivers them from great peril. Um, he is the one that we have set and fixed our hope on. Um, and you talk about how God will deliver them. And you even said in verse 11, we see that Paul requests prayer for himself and his companions and how we all need prayer. We all need to be praying for others and for ourselves. And one of the handful of weapons that we have to go in the offensive is, is prayer. And you, and you kind of ended it with Ephesians chapter six, verse 18, talking about that, that power of prayer. And so, Kind of our final question is, how can we learn from Paul's example of while being in the pit, having our focus on God and being committed to prayer? How can we learn from Paul's example while being in the pit? Yes, by being in the, the, the moment of disaster mm-hmm. or... Um... Yeah, and
1: I love the question. I was just thinking, you know, your pit's going to be different from my pit. I Absolutely. don't think there's a universal pit. Right. I, I think it's learning, and, and I do believe it's a learning sure. uh, to depend on God, to, to look to Him first, to pray about it, to really try to gain His perspective on it if He's willing to disclose that. And I've found, and I'm not some super spiritual guy, I just find sometimes He doesn't disclose what he's doing, when he's doing it, and sometimes not even at all. Sometimes he does. You can look in the rearview mirror of your life and say, oh, I, I get what God was yeah. doing, why he did that, and the timing of it all. He's a genius, of course. But the, that dependency thing, that trust dynamic seems to be just beyond our grasp sometimes. We keep moving and inching toward it, and I think that's where He ultimately really wants us to live Mm. is to trust Him, to depend on Him, and I don't know how many times in my life, personally, my married life and family life, you know, you get to a place where you're like, man, I just don't see how this is going to happen. I I don't. Okay, Lord, we're going to hand it off to you. (laughs) We should have handed it off in the the first part of the, you know, experience, but I, you know for reasons i tried to touch upon sunday we're just slow to trust him first we're usually willing towards the end when we've exhausted everything at our disposal we so i guess the answer to the question is you know maybe learning to to be to live in that that place of dependence and trust in and on god on the front end of things. Because yeah. I know God is with us. He's proven that time and time again. And I've witnessed the goodness of God. I've thought about this a lot. How have I witnessed the good of God? Well, I've read about it in the Bible. <laughs> I've witnessed it in the lives of other believers. I've seen it in my own life. So I, I don't need any convincing that God is good. Right. I get that. And I also believe he is faithful. In fact, I mentioned this morning in men's Bible study that that I think my favorite attribute of God as it stands now is his faithfulness. He's just never abandoned us uh, he he's He's not one to leave us in the pit, and I talk about that word you know it means to draw out uh, to pull out, to rescue from the pit. He's not necessarily going to remove the pit, but he will get you through it and out of it. Mm. And that's abundantly true, as we see in a variety of the characters of of the Bible, as well as our own lives and the lives of others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I you know, I, I think of and that's what I was just looking up, you know, in Philippians where Paul says uh to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm. You know, I, I often think of that in Paul's life, but man, to get, to be at a place where we can say that, where our life is everything and glorifying God and all that we can, and when we are in those pits, mm-hmm. you know, I, as you said this on Sunday, and even as, as you were just talking, it's just that conviction of what is our first go-to when the pit the pit comes, mm-hmm. when those hard time comes, and I want to say and hope to say that I can always say <laughs> Christ, and yeah. um, but just as humans, we sometimes it's not our first go to, and so that's no. you know it's a big challenge in my life where I want that to be the first thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy for me to run to my wife first, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just that conviction and that re- reality that we see here in Second Corinthians that reminder of how important it is that God's there, always will be, always has been. Yeah. So why is He not our first go to? And so it's just a good challenge for me, and hopefully for the rest of the listeners. Yeah. That to continue to pursue that. Definitely, and good luck, because it's yeah. not easy, and it Absolutely. takes uh,
1: perpetual resolve to whatever bumps up against me, I'm going to at least try right. to consult the Lord first, um, to bring my cares to Him as He urges us to do in 1 Peter 5-7. So, yeah, I mean, it's I'm on a learning curve with that. Absolutely. Because uh, I think a lot of us think, oh, that's a problem. I can handle that. Eh, uh, boy. Um, sometimes we make a problem worse because we have that mentality. Hmm. Or I do. I shouldn't speak yeah. for anyone else.
0: But anyway. Well, as we conclude, this is my favorite part of the podcast. I know other people would disagree, but <laughs> what are some final, final words, last words? Oh, man, don't miss next Sunday.
1: We're going to have a great Sunday of worship and Bible study. We have the dessert auction, student ministry fundraiser, chili cook-off. It is a great Sunday for our church. It's an Acts 2 kind of experience for the church with the study of the Bible, the worship of God's people, the fellowship around the tables, the praying, the giving, the sharing, and breaking bread together. It's going to be awesome. And on top of that, a sermon, another sermon from 2 Corinthians on uh, the beauty of having a clear conscience, mm. the peace that comes with having a clear conscience. And Paul's conscience was clear. It's one thing I love about him the conviction he had that he was in the right, not because he was smarter than anybody else, but he rested in the peace he had, his calling, his apostleship, his message. Yeah, we could learn a lot from the apostle. It's good. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll dive into that on Sunday. It's going to be a great day. Hope the weather. It's cooperative, and people really come out for it. Yeah.
0: It'll be a banner day. Yeah, be ready. It's going to be good. See. All right. Well, everyone's favorite part of the podcast is our That Stupid segment where we tell you what's stupid. So, John, what's stupid yeah, today? Yeah, I,
1: I mean, we were talking about what's stupid. I, I, There's so many things to choose from. So, to get right to it, I think what the NFL is doing this weekend is fantastic – but there's one aspect of it that's really stupid. I love Super Bowl Sunday, uh, absolutely, especially when my team is playing. Man, yeah. it is all gravy. I hope it's a great love game. It. Me too. I hope, and I hope the Niners smoke the Chiefs. Anyway, what's stupid is the hypocrisy and irony of the NFL's counsel to gamble responsibly and yet host the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty That's stupid. That's so stupid. That's sublime. <laughs> it's stupid. Like, are you people listening to yourselves? Sin. And I wonder how many commercials they're going to have during the Super Bowl to gamble responsibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, is, does that even fit in Las Vegas where they want you to lose your shirt the, in Las Vegas? The
0: very city labeled Sin City. Sin City.
1: <laughs> Help me. It's just crazy. The, oh, yeah. the NFL, what were they thinking? But They weren't. Anyway, or they were that, to and they me don't really
0: care. It's colossally stupid. That is pretty stupid. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that we could really rail on. That's stupid. You know, oh, one of them so I have man. to say this. We didn't even talk about this, but I have to say it is is how the media is portraying. Uh, has been so uh, dogging on Purdy. How can you not love the guy? I love the kid, and uh, man, I'm praying he
1: just. I'm praying he does well because I think he's handled himself with such humility and class and genuineness. His teammates love him. Yeah. He he just wants to win for his team, for his for the fans. I, I don't know, for a 24-year-old to handle himself the way he has handled himself, yeah. the Lord's gracious hand must be upon him. And I love that he's not an obnoxious, inconsistent Christian like I feel some athletes are. Sure. I've, I think with him... He's been measured about what he's said, and I think whatever yeah. he's said, he is actually, with God's grace, living that. Absolutely. I don't see any inconsistency with he says he's committed to Christ, but then he talks a different way or acts a different sure. way. Or, I, I, I root for the kid. Yeah, and I think even if I wasn't a 49ers fan, I'd root for that kid. I think he's, I think he's the kind of young man— Every parent wants their son to turn out to be like. Absolutely. Just well-spoken, yes, sir, polite. And his family, I want them to adopt me. <laughs> yeah. Man, they're, I, I, I listened to an interview of his mom and dad this morning, and they're just they're grounded people. And they're really admirable. And I think that's why the culture just is smacking that boy because he just doesn't fit the model. He doesn't right. fit the bad boy image. He's not, you know, he's just clean cut and you know god forbid he's white you know kind of thing <laughs> right. i hate to bring that into it but it's like if you're a white evangelical god-fearing christ-loving guy you got a target on your back sure and he's been handed this high profile uh position in sports the quarterback of an nfl team and i just think he's handled it so well tip of the hat to brock Purdy. Yeah. I, I hope he does well it, if if the Niners lose, I just don't want it to be because of something he did or didn't sure. do. yeah, he's uh, he's
0: handled everything really well. And as nice a sack, as someone who's not necessarily a fan of the 49ers, I do uh, what? Well, you know, I I, I go for him, but I'm saying <laughs> it's, it's not my team, right? And so, uh, you know, I, I really do think Brock Purdy deserves it. Yeah, and I think you're right. And he had an inter- I saw an interview the other day where he he used the words. You know some of these deep words, uh, theological words, yeah. and, you know, talking about the sovereignty of God and yeah. the hand Providence as you just said. of God, and just yeah, the so language it's...
1: he uses. that makes me think, man, maybe the kid has actually read the Bible. Yeah, and uh, I'm just like I said, if even if I was a Giants fan, sure, this weekend I would root for that kid. Yeah, I tip my hat to him. Well, as a I,
0: Texans fan, I'm rooting for that kid. Yeah, so I tip sure. my hat
1: to him. I wish we had more young men like Brock Purdy around All right. All in right, professional right. sports that. Are just you know you just want to root for the kid, sure. and you know, he's an underdog, the last pick of the draft. <laughs> it's a it's an incredible story. It's a Kurt Warner type story. Yeah, it's uh, good. So you know he, it's going to be a going to be a movie about him someday, especially if he wins the Super
0: Bowl. Yeah, it's stupid that if you uh, are are against uh, Brock Purdy, yeah. you know a lot of people are. I don't even I don't even think they can tell you why. Nah, they can't. But for all our listeners who are Kansas City's fans. I hope for 49ers <laughs> <just> did. <laughs> now we have some them. Kansas City fans that, man, they're sweet to the core, but yeah, we want the <laughs> Niners to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, guys, as always, we're so thankful that you listen to us week in and week out. And we ask um, that you share this podcast with your friends. And as always, remember to make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week.